Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Ridfin. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The Lead to Soar podcast is recorded on the ancestral home of the Ho-Chunk Nation in Madison, Wisconsin, USA, and on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Melbourne, Australia. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of these lands and their elders past and present and welcome any First Nations people listening today wherever you are. Welcome back, listeners, to the Lead to Soar podcast. You've got three of us today. So uh, today with me, I have Susan Colantuno and Mel Butcher. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. So glad to be here. So today we're talking about doers versus delegators. Well, we're actually talking about delegation and leadership and stuff that we need to start doing and stop doing. But in the context of a quote that I say a lot, which I learned from Susan and all of the work that we do to advance women into leadership and close the global leadership gender gap, which is leadership manifests itself at every level in every organization, but it is different. And so it depends where you're standing. But also that when you start to advance in your career, there are things that are additive, so skills we have to add to our leadership toolkit, but there are also things we need to stop doing. And one of the the premises of, of today's podcast is to talk about well, delegation, because certainly in in my own lived experience, that's been a skill that I've had to learn. And it almost became a career derailer, not a barrier. And I certainly have had experiences talking to lots and lots of women where I say, well, how how do you feel about delegation? There's kind of the wrinkled up 
brows and, oh, yes, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to talk about delegation. That That's the bottom line, listeners. I actually want to kick off with a quote from Susan's book, No Ceiling, No Walls. And it's under the chapter, Leadership Differs by Level, because I think it, it helps to frame up what we're talking about. The quote is, a whole new learning curve faced me, how to be chief executive officer of a public company with obligations to shareholders, how to apply what little I'd learned about management to the business of the company. I didn't know how and when to think about growth, how the job description of a chief executive office would read, how much profit we should be making or should be aiming to make. And that was by Catherine Graham, former chairman or chair and CEO of the Washington Post company. What struck me about that quote, Susan, and I'll ask if you're, well, you were the one who included in your book, is that Catherine, as she ascended to to that position, had a whole bunch of stuff she had to start doing. She also had to stop doing a whole bunch of stuff as well, even though she was quoting that what little she'd learned about management, but she had to stop doing stuff. So you want to set us up with your wisdom, which I've heard before about what leaders have to start doing, but importantly, stop doing as they move up the career ladder. Michelle, happy to. I also want to pick up on something you said a minute ago. I'm really glad we're talking about delegation because when we talk about engaging the greatness in others, one of the points we make is that managers rate women as outperforming men on almost every single interpersonal and team skill that were included in the studies that we reviewed. There were two where managers rated men as outperforming women, and one of them was delegation. And as you described in your experience, every time I've said that to a group of women, the heads in the room, you know, go nodding, yeah, you know, and and they look a little sheepish because delegation does seem to be an issue for us. So I'm really glad that we're talking about that. So the point about leadership being additive, I'll talk about two main transitions. The one transition is from individual contributor to someone in a leadership role, a supervisory role or management role or project team role. And what happens there is what the individual who's making that transition has to do is let go of doing the work of the individual contributor, even though probably you were promoted because you do that superbly well. You have to let go of doing that and let your team do that work. In exchange, you have to learn things like how to manage a team, how to hire people, how to delegate work to your team in a way that ensures team success. So those are a few examples. Then when you make the transition to uh, from middle management to senior and executive roles, the, again, having to rest on what you've learned about how to lead teams effectively, but to let the leaders who are leading teams below you do that work and delegate work to them effectively because your job at the most senior levels is to position the organization in its marketplace. It's not to do the work of the HR function or it's not to do the work of the people within operations in, the, in your business unit. It is to help your teams 
that are your leaders who are leading teams be successful so that you can help position the organization more. And so at each of those two transitions, delegation is a hugely important component for success. And as you said, Michelle, if one doesn't learn it, it can become a significant career derailer. And I think to build on that, that the career derailer can, and, and I think we, we let's talk about women's perceived readiness to lead at the next level and how delegation can derail that. But I certainly think coming back to your point around engaging the greatness in others, for the people that we lead, those that report to us, if we're not learning to delegate, we are not engaging, we're not seeking out and we're not engaging their greatness and allowing them to contribute and flourish within the organisation. Right. Absolutely. One of the skills that's required in order to be an effective delegator is the ability to recognize talent in other people and to appropriately assign work according to those talents. Right people, right place, right time, doing the right thing. Yeah. Mel, what are, what are your thoughts as we as we start off this conversation around uh, around delegation? I love what Susan just said. I feel like that is actually one of my strengths is recognizing talent, but I also fall into the category uh, that you mentioned at the beginning of nodding my head here. I can see where I would be perceived or even women colleagues be perceived as less effective in the category of delegation. And so where I'd like to lean the the discussion to next is I know for myself, I have been in positions where I needed to get people on board, get them moving in a certain direction, get, get them on board with tasks, essentially. And I have felt this sort of resistance inside myself that I think stems from fear of being seen as too aggressive or too assertive. And so I, I want to pitch that back to you. I, I'm sure there's other other people, other women out there who felt this way. So for me, that was a challenge to overcome this fear that I might be perceived as being pushy. So I think there's two main elements here that I really want to explore with, with both of you. And of course, comment on Thank myself. You. Right. <laughs> One is exactly what Mel said. So as a person, for our listeners who are navigating their career, what are the things that I need to pay attention to? So how do I learn? How do I build my delegation skills, et cetera, et cetera? But also what are the consequences of not building it? So I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but we know that failure to delegate, and I'm going to share a story just from this week, failure to delegate will become that derailer. So they're they're the two angles I, I kind of want to go down. Let's talk briefly, not at length, about why failure to build your delegation skills will become a career derailer. And I'm going to kick off with a story that was shared with me this week and was shared with me by someone who does executive and board sourcing very experienced gentleman. And we were talking about a an executive, a, a woman executive that he and I both know in our network, but he said, Michelle, she is never, ever going to make it onto the, the head executive team. She will never make it onto the board or anything like that. And he, and he said to me, have a guess why? And I said, because she can't delegate. She can't let go. Very happy working 80 hours a week, known as a doer. Uh, known as, you know, the woman that he gives stuff to to get done, but is 
not perceived as someone who's ready to go to the next level because she simply is not willing to let go of tasks, etc. So that w- w- was just so, you know, sometimes the universe delivers, right? I think, and I went, oh, gee whiz, I'm having, I'm doing a podcast this week about this exact subject. So Susan, give us, give us your wisdom about what executives are looking at when we f- don't master the art of delegation or what their perceptions are. So one of my favorite sayings in the world is, if you're the only one who can do the job you have, you'll always have the job you do. And the situation you're describing, Michelle, is a perfect example of that. She apparently takes on the weight of the world. And the consequence of being the only one who can do the job you have is that if you don't, that you're not grooming your successor. So she hasn't shown the organization that she has, first of all, the capability to groom people behind her. And secondly, the bandwidth to think at the executive level. It's one of the risks of women who take into their identity a pride in in doing. You talked earlier about doers versus delegators. And so I think that's one of the, the traps that she's fallen into. And I think going back... Mel, to what you said earlier, women have so many messages that come at us about being nice and being egalitarian and, you know, rolling up our sleeves and getting things done and and so many others that influence the concern that you raised about not being seen as being pushy or directive or authoritative or authoritarian you know she may have she may not have done the internal work to get over all of that it's very sad if she's capable that no one has given her that feedback and the opportunity to change. The flip side of that, and I'm going to refer our viewers back to our episode about succession planning because we we recorded one in, in last season about that. This is this is part of get someone ready for your job so that you are ready to move on to the next job. And and certainly in my own career, because I'm I like to like to flit around and do stuff. I, I kind of well I mean I, I knew what I was what what I was good at, which was coming into either build or fix, not to maintain. So which meant I knew I would want to move on 18 months to two and a half years from my role, which meant if I was going to move on and be ready to, to jump into the next opportunity to do the right thing by the business, I had to get someone or someone's, to, at least two people ready, ready now, ready in 12 months, you know, so that spotting talent, developing that talent, grooming them for your roles sends a signal to the boss and the boss's boss, hey, we've got no risk here. Because one of the other quotes that I've heard from women is, uh, Michelle, they, they've told me they're never going to pre- promote me because I'm just so good at my job. No one else could do it. And uh, so I think this is this is one of the ways of countering that. And there's a certain seduction to that, right? To be seen as indispensable. It, there's a seduction there, but at a huge cost to yourself, but also to the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So... If I'm for for our listeners at who are leaders at any level, but when does she start to build her delegation skills? Which career stage does she start to build them at? In my opinion, from the very first minute on a job, and not necessarily not necessarily because you have the opportunity to delegate. A lot of individual contributors don't. But one thing you can begin to do the very first day on your job is have your antenna up for what feels like effective 
delegation when it comes at you and what feels ineffective? What is it about how someone asks more of you than you were expecting that works in terms of how they respect you, how they acknowledge your talents, how clear they are about what needs to be done, how open they are to hearing your concerns, as opposed to the, okay, this needs to be done, get it to me by five o'clock. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing right at the beginning that someone could do. And there are other things, but I don't want to hog the conversation. I'm sure Mel, you and Michelle both have some other ideas about that. Well, I'll, I'll build on that, but I think I speak for Michelle and I when I say we'd love to hear more from you because the listeners hear a lot from us. But I do want to add that I want to encourage listeners to think outside of the box of just management. You don't have to be a direct line manager of people to be delegating. And that act, that practice is something that you should be aware of doing and aware of practicing because it's something you'll tap into as you are making the case to move yourself up the ladder. Very similarly to the other day when we had one of the members of a career that soars ask about how she could display her entrepreneurial activities. And I think initially she was thinking about like, well, I haven't started a business, so I haven't really done anything entrepreneurial. But this person has done all kinds of other work in different volunteer organizations and whatnot that are definitely demonstrate her entrepreneurial spirit. And we just had to had to tease that out. So I completely agree with with you, Susan, that it starts from the very beginning. It can even start when you're a, a student as far as delegation. I feel like I encountered that running a student organization that I was sort of building from zero upward. And one of the things that I needed to do was recruit other officers and get them to do things, right? And get them to do it for free because we're all volunteers. So that that was one of my early experiences. But let me let me volley it back to you now. I, I totally agree. And here's some other ways to shift your mindset around what the word delegation. If you're a good organizer, this is one of the things around delegation. So I am a good organizer. I'm a good administrator. And thinking, as you said, student, Mel, I was thinking about when I was a student last doing my MBA, so I was an old student, but I was a student nonetheless, group work. So you'd be assigned a, a group assignment. And my role was always, let's talk about roles and responsibilities. Who's going to do what? I'll run the project plan and do the check inputs. Now that's delegation. So if you're a good organizer and you can organize people to do stuff, give them jobs and, and what have you, that is the genesis of delegation. Because what you're doing is identifying the greatness. So who's got what talent how do we get them in the right place at the right time doing the right thing? So whether it's your group assignment, whether it's a project team across company or project team, whether it's a, an employee resource group within your organization, what are you involved in where you can demonstrate some of these organizing leadership delegation skills? Because a lot of people want to just work in their zone of genius. And if someone says to them, hey, Susan, I know what your zone of genius is. How about you go and do the X, Y, Z that plays it? A lot of people go, awesome. I get to do what I love. Thanks so much, Michelle. That's For me, that's delegation as well. So it's a bit of a, it's that identity shift, as you said, Susan. I'm a good organizer, which means I'm a good delegator, which means I'm a good leader, as well as the mindset shift. 
delegation is about helping people move towards tasks that play to their zone of genius or their, their the greatness in them. Do you think I'm on the right track? Oh, absolutely. I, I think both of you are on the right track. Uh, anytime we're involved in a team, whether it's at school, whether it's volunteer work outside the organization, volunteer work inside the organization like ERGs, uh, even as a team member, not the person running the team, we can practice organizing things, asking the question, who's the right person to do this, or making the statement, Michelle, I think you'd be really good doing this because I've noticed that you do why, and Mel, you'd be the right person to do this because I've noticed that you do A well. We can start right at career start, and it could be inside the organization or outside of the organization. The other thought I had about career start is sometimes work teams have resources available to them, like a team administrative support person or group. There's an, That's another opportunity to practice uh, handing off to that support person or someone in the support group work that's appropriate for them. And again, practicing and figuring out what's a respectful, not shy way of asking someone to do the work that is appropriate for them to do instead of taking it on yourself. When I was starting out in my career, I was absolutely, totally uncomfortable asking administrative support to do their work because I felt like in that organization, they were not valued. And I didn't want to be seen as taking advantage, which is another, it's another bit that I think relates a little to what you said earlier, Mel, about, you know, being concerned about not being seen as pushy. I didn't want to be seen as devaluing by giving them administrative work. Yeah. So, so I think all of us are talking around that that internal identity shift as well as a mindset shift that we that we have to undergo from and and you know from the outset of our careers now clearly folks who are listening some of them are not at the outset of their career let's progress forward so we've made the transition from career start we've made that first career transition and now we're we're a leader of people we might be a leader of people leaders as well what are the things that we could be on the lookout for both as opportunities well, and, and risks? So what, what, what do we need to be thinking about and doing in terms of continuing to address our own internal identity shifts required to lead at the next level, as well as shift our mindset around, well, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be seen as bossy. I don't want to be seen as lazy because that was one of my own, the bit of narrative Ooh. in my head. People will think I'm lazy if I give them jobs to do. But over to both of you, what do you think needs to go on there? Well, I, the thing that just popped into my mind is one of the pressures on women is that we're supposed to be like likable and we want to be liked. So in management, there was this wonderful couple, Barry Oshry, and I forget the woman who worked with him. They had a week-long workshop years ago called Power and Systems. And basically what they did was they took a, a group of people who came to the workshop and they assigned some to be at the head of the organization and some to be at the bottom and some to be in the middle. What they discovered was the power dynamics between the people at the bottom and the people at the top were always the same, even when you had CEOs assigned to the bottom. My point about that is that you cannot be effective and always be liked. So I think that's one mind shift that's important for us. Now, we can do a lot 
to make sure that we're, I keep coming back to being respectful, ethical, and honest, and all the good character characteristics that we want. But then there's inevitably going to be some people, no matter how carefully we ask for work to be done, who will not like us because we're the ones asking for work to be done. And I think the gender dynamics around that is something I I hope we can touch on. So I think that's one of the mind shifts that I don't think it's talked about in terms of delegation, that no matter what you do, if you're in a manage, if you're in a role of authority or leadership, People, there are some people who will always take exception to that, no matter how wonderful a human being you are. Bang on. Mel, what do you think, Mel? (laughs) I'm just nodding in agreement over here that it's like no, no matter what subject we're talking about, if you are moving up in your career and you want to do things, your number one priority cannot be uh, to be liked by everyone. It's just not possible. You're here. Yeah. You know that I, I, I would rather be respected than liked. Well, not, not rather. I, I, it's important. So, you know, my golden trilogy, Mel, people need to know you, respect you and trust you to do business with you. Whether that's someone who reports to you, you report to them, you buy from them, they buy from you. The no respect trust. There's nothing about likability in there. And nor should there be no respect to trust. And and we know that women get slammed all the time for not being likable. Yep. When we are authoritative, there's that whole gender dynamic there. The other thing that popped into my mind, Michelle, when you asked the question was, you know, how we do the activities of owning your, putting on your mantle of leadership. So I think also as it relates to delegation, we have to own the fact that we have authority to delegate and we're being paid to do it. In terms of mastering the middle, so mastering the middle of, of, of management, when you are promoted to a management position, you are paid to lead multiple teams for a visible impact on the organizational outcomes. And part of that responsibility is you have to let go of some of the stuff that you used to like to do. I think that's a, it's a really important part is letting go, but remembering you are paid to do stuff for the organization. And that doesn't mean still doing the stuff that you did at a previous lower pay grade. So I'm, I'm going to be really blunt here. If you were paid $50,000 a year to, as an individual contributor, and you've now been elevated to, you're now at middle management and say you're, you're getting paid $100,000. I'm sorry, but as a boss, I'm expecting you to do $100,000 work, not $50,000 work, because you've got people to do the $50,000 work. Oh, say it again, Michelle. <laughs> you know, once it's out of my head, it's gone, Mel. <laughs> That's the value of recording these, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) So, you know, I kind of, I I think there's, I really want to acknowledge the gender dynamics and I want to sort of prosecute that a little bit more. But the bottom line is, folks, if you are paid to do a job, you've got to do the job, not someone else's job who's paid less than you because they're paid to do that. Now, from an employee perspective, and I'm going to give an autobiographical example of when I got some feedback from an employee of mine, or a person, an, an employee of the company, the person reported to me, hey, uh, hey, Mish, is there any reason why you keep coming to all these meetings? And, you know, I've kind of got this, right? I went, oh, no, just there, there to support you. And she just said, listen, if you're going to do my job for me, you might as well do it. And I'm going to go and find something more interesting because you're not letting me show how good I am. You are crowding me. You are 
undermining me by showing up and doing stuff. And I was appalled and aghast because I went, that's not my intention. I I know it's not your intention. That's why I'm having this conversation with you. Get out of my way. Let me do my job and show how good I am. And and she said to me, because you know, I want your job, right? And she said, no, no, you want me to get your job, but I can't if you don't get out of the damn way. I went, great lesson. Get out of the way and work out what it is that I needed to do to satisfy my sense of helping her, supporting her. And it wasn't turning up to every meeting, being CC'd on every email, jumping into email threads with my thoughts. Because And it was such a pivotal moment for me. I went, oh God, I have really undermined this person who I so value and saw as my successor. I went, good lesson learned. So folks, think about it from the perspective of the people that report to you. Are you crowding them out? Do you need to make space for them? Get out of the damn way. And if if you have low trust or low belief in those people's ability to do stuff, that's your that's on you. You've got to coach them and develop them, put milestones in place, have regular stand-up meetings, whatever it may be to satisfy you that you're supporting them and that they're staying on track. Don't crowd them out or don't do their job for them because that means they're never going to learn to do it properly. You're listening to Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. A Career That Soars, or ACTS, is an organization, a networking platform, and a place for career women to learn and connect. Our founder, Susan Colantuno, envisioned a group that would embrace women from all backgrounds and support one another towards achieving their highest career ambitions. Learn more about what you can get from ACTS by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. and that you'll get stuck where you are. I think that there are two really important messages within your story. One is that it that it's tempting to slip back into what we're already good at, and that's the doing the work of the $50,000 individual contributor. The other is that it's hard to know what $100,000 of work looks like if no one's coaching or mentoring us about what leadership looks like at this new level, we have to put effort into it. So again, part of shifting our mindset about delegation is understanding that we have to look for and embrace what leadership looks for looks like at the next level. So instead of doing the work of individual contributors, as you were just saying, Michelle, we have to be developing individual contributors. We have to be looking outside of our functions for opportunities to uh, enhance the organization or to import innovation. And it's not always clear what that work of more financial value. I'm not going to say higher value because mm, mm. you know, is it of higher value to nurse a patient or to manage a unit? It's hard to say, but one 
one gets more money. Anyway, it's hard sometimes to understand what that new work is. So part of shifting our mindsets is embracing change and going looking to figure that out. And I want to take a moment to remind our listeners, one of the three pillars of our leadership definition that we talk about is engaging the greatness in others. So engaging the greatness in other people that goes in all directions, that goes toward your peers, toward your superiors, and to your subordinates. And if you're not getting the results that you need and want from your subordinates, that might mean you've got to do things differently as a manager, like Michelle described. And so I'm going to throw something out there from the world that I know. I'm in a technical space with a lot of super smart people, scientists, engineers out there. And let me tell you, STEM people, I see you struggle with this a lot. I have, I can't even count how many times I've heard people say, well, it's just faster if I do it myself instead of teaching this young engineer how to do it. So who who wants to take that one? Oh, I'm just I'm just going to quote: Give a person a fish and they eat for a day. Teach a person to fish and give them the equipment; they eat for a lifetime. I'll leave it at that. But Susan, <laughs> well, I was going to say they're right. It is easier, but it's not better for the employee, and it's not better for you. You know, so you know, pay me now or pay me later, kind of thing. And you know, I understand. I understand that. I've had people work for me where I've just wanted to do it because I cannot stand the taking the time to ex- teach them how to fish. It drives me friggin' crazy sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes, frankly, I don't do it. This is not a skill that I think I'm the world's best uh, role model for. But I have learned that I have to do it. That I have to take the time to coach that person to do the work that would be take me 15 minutes, but then it's going to take me half an hour to explain it, to show it, to watch them do it. And then, you know, hopefully they'll be able to do it the next time. So I I think we've, we've talked about the why, why learning to delegate and like any other leadership skill with discipline practice, you, you will achieve mastery. I also acknowledge that, you know, I, I have a have had a checkered past when it comes to delegation. Um, so, you know, I'm not I'm not standing in a, you know, my little prism of perfection here. So we've talked about why it's so important to master delegation. Now, one of the other pieces that I, I really want to talk about because we've touched on it a couple a couple of times is gender dynamics. So the differences between men and women who delegate. I'm going to tell a story about when someone delegated to me, which was extraordinarily game-changing. So I worked for, when I was working in, in the big bank that I worked for before I started what I'm doing now, I got a call from my boss who said, and he was, you know, on the second, you know, two down from the CEO. He said, Michelle, I need you to go to pricing committee meeting with for me next week. Now, this is the pricing committee where the whole bank sets the risk appetite, how are we going to price stuff? And I'm going, I wonder if he realizes I'm not a banker. I'm here as an administrator doing other stuff. So I rang Anthony and I said, Anthony, you kind of realize that and he says, just turn up. You'll be fine. He said, this will be good for you. He said, I can't do it. He said, and I need to have someone in my team that I can rely on to go to these meetings for me. He said, you get it. He said, you're commercial. You know this stuff. And I went, okay. Right. And as it turned out, I did know myself. So I turned up, but he pushed by delegating something to me. He pushed me into an environment where 
Yes, I felt uncomfortable, but I de- I developed, I got some exposure to decision-making and decision-makers, so very good for my career, good for my skills, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I had absolutely no issue with him doing that other than my own lack of self-confidence. I wonder if that had been a woman delegating to me. I wonder how I, honestly, what my mindset might have been. I felt honoured and scared and all that kind of stuff about having this task delegated to me. Would I have felt differently if it was a senior woman delegating to me? Because it does, it does play out, doesn't it? I, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking I had early in my career two managers, one was a man and one was a woman. And they were both good in their own way, but I had greater expectations of the woman that she would be more nurturing. Like Dave gave me an assignment that was a really big, challenging assignment. And I said to him, I'm not sure that I'm the right person for this. And he said, no, go, you can do it. Uh, And when Kathy gave me a similar assignment, I said, I'm not the right person for this. And she said, yeah, you are. Just go do it. And I was wanting her to empathize with me and, you know, pat me on the head and console me about my self-doubt. So I think that is definitely one set of gender dynamics. And I, I think that men have similar expectations. They'll take hierarchical direction from a man, but expect some more nurturing from from a woman. What do you think, Mel? I'm I'm struggling to think of contrasts here because most of the time, almost all of the time in my work, I have had male superiors, including in my, my career prior to engineering, where I was working with a lot of military men. So I, one of the things that I want to point out is that, you know, there's kind of like common complaints about managers, just like there are subordinates, but like the common complaint of managers is often something like micromanagement or whatever. That has no gender boundary. Those types of things show up uh, no matter who we're dealing with. And I think that that emphasizes how the pillar of engaging the greatness in others becomes so, so important because we can't change other people. All we can do is change how we show up and how we interact with other people and engage their greatness. Mm. You were, your talk about micromanagement makes me think of the opposite, which is one of my failures as a delegator. I tell, I'll, I'll delegate a task And then it's like I abdicate responsibility. I think, Michelle, you talked earlier about setting clear parameters and stuff, because I pretty much hate micromanagement and love to have a task in hand and run with it. I treat everyone else as if they were me. And so I abdicate. And sometimes at the end of what I think should be a done project, the project's not done and I'm blindsided. So there's one fault to watch out for in delegation is micromanagement. You give out the task and then like your employee told you, Michelle, she did you such a gift. You know, don't micromanage me. The other side of that is don't abdicate. Have regular check-ins, set standards you know, give encouragement along the way, be open to people coming in and telling us that we have, that they're having a problem with 
what we've delegated. And as you're talking, I'm, I'm reminded of an article I read years ago about smart trust. And trust is such a big part of this. We've got to trust. We've got to expect greatness from others. We've got to trust that they'll be able to to do the job, but not abdicate our responsibility. So like you, Susan, I kind of went from, oh, of course, the pendulum swung then to the other way where, oh, I'll get out of the way. And I, then, you know, you get to the end, oh, God, that's a bit crap. I know. Why, Oh, God. What happened? Well, you didn't give me any feedback along the way. Right. Yeah, good point. Okay. Smart trust is saying, I trust you to get the job done, but I'm going, and I'm really bastardizing this now, but but I'm going to do some check-ins along the way to make sure that we're still on track. For those of you who have done project management, you'll know this. You go, oh, duh, Michelle, this is project management 101. Mm-hmm. You let people get on with it, but you have milestone check-ins. So whatever works for you, but that smart trust says, I trust you to get the job done, but we're going to put some, whether it's check-in points or an agreed operating cadence where we can check in with each other. You can say to me, Susan, I need more help. Susan says to me, Michelle, I need more help here. Or I'll say, actually, I think I want you to take this direction now. So it gives that opportunity along the way. And and again, I think this is about building the skills to delegate. Yes, there's the mindset shift. Yes, there's the identity shift. And yes, I think we need to pay attention to not letting gender dynamics and the, the desire to be liked derail us, but then let's get the skills or the mechanics in place to, to start doing this. So think about every every task you're delegating as a mini project. We've got a scope, we've got an end state. Oh, so we've got a, a current state and end state. We've got a scope of work and then we've got some some milestones along the way. So that that, that could be a good way of, of helping those mechanics or that, you know, for people to start doing some stuff, some practical stuff around delegation. So everything around project management is a piece of the skill set of delegation scoping out the steps in between asking who's the right person on the team to do that or or stating who the right person is on the team to do that those are all those are component skills of delegation absolutely absolutely so i guess in summary then and you know my favorite question is what's the one thing that listeners who uh, should should pay attention to and I think that's it's a hard question. I acknowledge that that is a hard question to answer because we're going to have listeners at all different career stages. So let's break it into career stages, shall we? So if she's at the start of her career, from both of you, what's the, the one thing she should pay attention to? I would say pay attention to how things are delegated to you so you can learn from that. Mel? Well, I, I was thinking that this idea of paying attention to your inner voice and how the narrative you've got inside might be influencing how you show up in in a not so positive way in delegation specifically, that that is going to span maybe more than one level. Mm. And and my advice is this is going to segue us into middle management where I think there's some real gold for for people to pay attention to. But at, at career start, you need to pay attention to what your boss your boss is thinking about. I want you to look at your boss, understand your own role and know it inside out, upside down. Look for opportunities to hone your delegation skills. So it might be, let's help the team get organized on a project, on an employee resource group, whatever it may be. But try to walk a mile in your boss's shoes. What's what's your boss got on their plate and how might you volunteer to help them delegate. And so sometimes it makes it easier for a boss to delegate if they've got a willing and able person fronting up to say, I would like to take that on, please. Or 
would you like me to help you assign tasks? And I think that does a whole bunch of things. It's a little bit of upward management, so upward coaching. So if your boss is not overly good yet at delegating, that that gives them a safe person to delegate to or to share the load with. And it also gives you a chance to learn from someone if they are already good at delegating to learn, aha, this is the way it's done. And the third thing it does is it tells your boss that you're thinking about more than just your own role and you're increasing the perception of your readiness to, to move into a higher position. And I think that goes for middle management as well. But so when we're now in middle management, so she's in a, a middle management role. So a, a people leader or potentially a leader of people leaders. And I think this is where we've got real opportunity for that additive subtractive stuff. One piece of advice from both of you. I thought you were going to go with the additive subtractive thing. So I'm already, I'm poised to listen to what you had to say about that. No, no, God, I'm just, I'm feeding bits out here. I'm letting you do the hard work. I think that is the crux of it at the middle. Let, learning what to let go of. And what to, what to take in. Mm-hmm. Mel? As, as you were talking a moment ago, I was thinking, I haven't done this, but maybe it would be a good idea to speak to a superior that you have rapport with and ask the question, what do you struggle with when it comes to delegation? Why do you think that is? And get a little bit of reflection from someone maybe who's been in that position longer than you. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good idea. I, I want particularly women to to pay attention to yeah, the letting go of. So if there are people in your team that are paid to do stuff that you're doing, let them do it. So and and for me this this one is a mindset shift. You are blocking the development of your direct reports if you're doing your their job for them and you are frustrating them because I think very few people turn up to be lazy at work, honestly. Um, most people want to do a good job. And if you know, a little bit like the story I told, if you've got someone else doing your job, you go, well, knock yourself out, but I'm not going to admire you or respect you as a leader if you keep micromanaging me or doing my job for me. So if you're really serious about talent, you've got to let them demonstrate or practice and then demonstrate those skills that they've attained. And then you have to know that what what you're adding in relates to the skills required to manage team of individuals or a team of managers. So things we have to, in the middle, delegate so that we can then develop team leadership skills, our ability to give feedback, our ability to work with external stakeholders within the company to find out ways that the teams or team we're managing can support them and key stakeholders outside of the company for importing innovation, for tracking threats and opportunities to our function. Without delegating, we cannot have bandwidth to do that work, which is the work that we're being paid to do. And let's say this explicitly. When we talk about delegation, we're not talking about ordering other people around. Whether you're middle management or senior to executive leadership, part of what we're asking you to do is take pride in developing other talent. Take pride in that activity. And it reminded me of that quote from Zig Ziglar, where he said, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help other people get what they want. And I totally agree with you, Michelle. 99% of people are not showing up to work to be lazy. I, I can remember like, one person that I went to school with who I think it was their life goal to like do as little work as possible. And 
they went about it in like a really charming way. So everyone liked this person anyway, because they were just so like super fun loving, but everybody else there pretty much wanted to be there. They wanted to be doing the work. And even when, uh, you know, somebody maybe gets on our nerves, we as leaders still need to be able to acknowledge that they have something to contribute and it's our job to find out how to tap into it. And I want to, I want to then talk about the transition from middle management into senior and executive roles. Ask for your comments or your, your advice or wrapping it up with, you know, your focus as you move into those very senior roles becomes much less internal to the organization and much more outwardly focused. So advice for that for her. So she's, and and potentially those women or folks who have just moved into their very first sort of very senior or executive role and might be still going, bandwidth's an issue for me. Gee, I'm busy all the time. What might she need to pay attention to, Susan? I think she needs to pay attention to whether the team reporting to her is the right team to do the work that needs to be done. And if it isn't the right team to move people out into other roles that they could be higher performing in and to move in the right people because without being able to rely on her reporting team at that level, she will again not have bandwidth to do the external uh, relationships and the external scanning required in order to position the business in its marketplace. Mm, Spot on. Mel? Well, as someone who's, I'd say, aspiring to the senior and executive level role, I would maybe pose a question on on behalf of the listeners. So, you know, for someone like me who who wants to get there, what do I need to understand about delegating when it comes to that higher level of career? Well, I think from my perspective, there, there's a couple of things. As I said, understand that your your boss has got an external focus and that they are assuming you've made the cut in terms of the right team, as Susan said, because I think that is incredibly important and be decisive uh, about that. So your boss is expecting you to literally keep the home fires burning while they grow the company. You know, every person at that level is is number one salesperson for the organization, whether they're selling the product, the brand to the investors, whatever it may be. So you really need to, I want you to pay attention to what the outcomes that your boss is responsible for and then how you you might contribute along with your teammates, uh, your colleagues, to making that happen. It is a joy to have people in your team as an executive who really show up and say, okay, I'm here today, Michelle. I, I get what's on your plate. You've got an investor briefing. Uh, you've got the, a board paper to develop. Let me know what I can do, or even better, I think I can write a portion of the board paper for you so that you're freed up to go and do X, Y, Z. Those people who are thinking about what my challenges and opportunities are in my role and who show up to be delegated to are a joy. So I think that's a real opportunity. And for those people in that role, when she does show up and say, hey, I want to be delegated to, oh God, for bloody bloody hell, delegate to her. Give, her, give her meaningful work to do. Be prepared for people to make comment because really good people, leaders who are really good in this domain, I've got to say they are unusual. And so I can recall I had, I've talked about one of my star folks who used to report to me, Maria, and I knew Maria was an absolute gun. So I used to take her with me to meetings. I'd give her my work to do, things like that. And my boss said to me, he goes, 
Michelle, you might want to watch, you know, Maria's everywhere. People think she's doing your job, you know, are you? And I said, well, Harry, she, she is. She's part of my team. I'm grooming her. I'm developing her. So she quite literally is doing part of my job so she can learn how to do it. And I said, this is, this is what people management's all about. This is how developing talent. And he said, it's a bit of a perception. I said, well, good oh. <laughs> But the perception when she's ready for the, an executive role will be, gee, isn't it good that we spotted her? So I think managing, be prepared when you act, frankly, unusually in, in terms of particularly organisations that have a lot of command and control, hierarchical focus. If you start to bring talent forward and you're a good delegator, you might get some pushback to say, oh, is that really the right thing to do? But then think about it from the perspective, you know, my opportunity to turn up at the bank's pricing committee, I went, wow, what an honour. Yes, I was scared witless, but what an honour. And then what a great opportunity to be in front of decision makers and decision making, which we know from pie mentoring is such an incredibly important part of people's development. So that's a very long way of saying, do the right thing, but but sometimes you're going to get pushback even from your colleagues or your boss to say, wow, you're investing a lot of time in this person. Well, it's good. It's good for the company. And now that you know what I'm doing, if someone makes that comment, you can explain to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm, uh, I think we've got some really great advice there and I'm, I'm going to sum us up now. So we know that leadership manifests itself at every level in every organization, but it is different as you move through the career stages. To be ready to move through a career stage uh, or to the next career stage, you have to manage the perceptions about yourself. Uh, and you, and part of those perception, part of that perception management is to be known as someone who develops talent and brings them forward. And you can't do that if you can't delegate. Leadership skills are additive as you move up the organization and they are subtractive. Start doing stuff and stop doing stuff. In your organization, you're going to have to work out what that is. And to, to Mel's earlier advice, ask people more senior to you. Have a very targeted informational interview. I want to be good at this stuff. What have you encountered as you've have you as you've successfully moved through your career? Finally, smart trust. I think, you know, delegate, don't advocate from Sue's, you know, your, your story, Susan. Don't micromanage, delegate. But, you know, really think about, I guess, how you can engage the greatness in all others all of the time to help the organisation grow. And that's what delegation does. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, listeners, for tuning on in. And as always, uh, come and see us in A Career That Soars because we talk about, discuss, chat, post about all these uh, all these topics and more. And, of course, every week we hold a coaching call, and a, a group call, and we provide very, very targeted coaching support and advice around delegation and pretty much anything else in the world of women work and leadership. Thanks, folks. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Michelle. Well, thanks, Michelle. Great to be with you. This has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside A Career That Soars at acareerthatsoars.com. 